everyone. I'm Dr. Susie Green, CEO and founder of the Positivity Institute. Welcome to the Pioneers of Positive Education podcast series two, where I'll be chatting to those pioneers of positive education, those who forged forward in their mission to create flourishing students, staff and whole school communities. I'll be speaking to POSED pioneers from various schools around Australia over coming weeks, speaking with them about their experiences and journeys in positive education. My hope is that you're inspired and motivated to consider positive education for your school. The podcast series is generously sponsored by Perth College, who will also be hosting the Flourish 2019 conference this October in Western Australia, and we hope to see you there. Brendan Fogarty is the National Head of Curriculum for the Outdoor Education Group, OEG. Brendan completed a Master's Degree in Educational Leadership at the Australian Catholic University in 2012, focusing on educational leadership, pedagogy and application. Brendan has worked in a variety of educational settings, including both state and Catholic schools within Victoria. His experience in primary and secondary schools brings a breadth of curriculum understanding and practicum. Brendan is determined that outdoor education and adventure learning is paramount to the education of all students, that all students may have an opportunity to experience the world through exploration, reflection and experiential learning activities. In adventure camps, wilderness environments or community settings, their lives can be positively changed. By providing these experiences, the foundation can be set for shaping a child's growing knowledge, confidence and identity. Welcome, Brendan. Thank you so much, Susie. It's great to be part of this um, podcast series. It's uh, a wonderful learning experience from this end as well as, I guess, for all your listeners. Absolutely. And it's a little different today, I guess, because you're not a school, but you certainly do work with schools. And we met, I think, a couple of years ago, possibly now, Brendan, and I've always been intrigued, I guess, by what some of the schools were talking about early on around, I guess, the difficulties in in explicitly teaching positive ed. And there's still some debate around whether we should be doing that or not. I guess I'm certainly from the camp where I believe we can and we possibly should be. But there's one thing to sort of teach it, isn't it? There's another thing to sort of really experience it and put it to use. And for me, the opportunity to do that through outdoor education or experiential positive education is, I guess, how I'd refer to it, just seems a natural fit. So I'm very, very interested to hear what you have to share with us today. Oh, thank you, Susie, so much. Um, Look, part of the outdoor education group, we're the biggest provider of outdoor education in Australia. Currently this year, we'll probably be taking about 50,000 students across Australia out into the wilderness. Wow. um, Out to discover themselves and to discover how they can work collaboratively in small groups, in large groups, uh, whether that's between three days or even up to 30 days in some stages. Wow. Where they'll spend 30 days out in the wilderness uh, living and thriving with them together. Wow. And uh, what age groups do you take? So we've currently got four hardtop centres that spread across Australia and that we take primary school students to those as well as secondary school students. So students from about grade three 
all the way up to year 12. Wow, that's amazing. And uh, I, I know my children are in their 20s now, Brendan, but I think I might have shared with you my son, his school took part in an outdoor ed program and it started, I think, in year seven. They only went for three days and it built up to a week by that year 10. And I always look forward to it because he'd come back really grateful <laughs> after that experience. <laughs> look, it is it's certainly one of those things that we call it stretching our students and our participants on our programs and even our teachers, the adults that go along, certainly is it is a stretch to take them out of their comfort zone. And that's one of the things that we like to do is to try and stretch them a little bit. The one thing that always comes to mind is is the memorable part of it, how much memories that are kept around outdoor education and around school camps in general. Yes. You know, often the conversations, especially at 10-year reunions, is what happened on the camp? What happened on Year 9 camp? And do you remember that incident that happened and, you know, staying out late at night and all those sorts of things that happen all along the way that just never, ever leave the mind? They're always there. They're always present in their mind. Absolutely. I can recall some of my own experiences. So, Brendan, OEG, how long has it been in existence for? So, OEG has been running for 30 years. Wow. Initially starting off as the Outdoor Activities Group. Um, starting in the Eildon area in Victoria and has since grown now to uh, – originally I think it started with four original employers or workers together. Start off as four gentlemen coming together and saying, how can we put our love, our passions, what we love to do out in the wilderness – and almost make it a full-time job. And it, so it, since it's just grown from there. And I and I do recall, but you'll need to fill me in a little again. What's the, sure. I guess, the ethos or the philosophy underpinning it? Our vision is um, quite simple, but it, it has so much meaning to it. It's simply having more young Australians out in the wilderness. Wow. And I guess, you know, the days have changed and probably showing my age here a little bit too yep. when we were, uh, you know, out in the street until the street lights came on and I spent many, many hours. There was uh, bushland at the end of our street and I was gone for the whole day and uh, my children grew up in, you know, Sydney and uh, didn't really have as many of those experiences as I had and I guess that's particularly for kids in urban areas um, one of the benefits in being taken out into um, nature. Oh, certainly it is. And, uh, and that is the experience nowadays. Um, and we, you know, terms around risk adverse parenting and, mm. and those types of things. That is, it's really interesting now that, you know, how, how many students or how many young people do you actually see riding their bikes around the streets after school or before school, or riding their bikes to and from school, you know, let alone um, spending time outdoors, you know, and the power of, of technology. Yes. I think has something to do with that as well. And also the power of the media. And we are now very, very concerned about safety and being mindful of the risks that are outside of the front door in our houses. And I believe the statistics don't match up to, I guess, some of the, um, as we say, uh, I guess, particularly in my field of psychology, fear is false evidence appearing real. Oh, so, like yeah, so the stats don't necessarily weigh up against some of these false fears, if you like. And again, from my background as a clinic, we know that in parenting, if you pass on some of your own fears uh, or some of these uh, fears around what could happen, you can actually induce anxiety. And as you know, we have a significant issue with anxiety in our, in our youth population right now. Certainly do, Susie. Yeah, we know the stats and the stats are really, really scary. You know, we're talking one in seven primary school students with 
levels of of anxiety, of high anxiety, and diagnosed high anxiety, and even to the point where it's you know it's roughly approximately about one in four secondary students. So right, yeah. So those things are really you know they're real. Definitely. And uh, again, you know, as you would know, there's the difference between fear and clinical anxiety disorder. And I think, you know, one of my favourite self-help books um, is Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway by Susan Jeffers, who passed away only a few years ago. And teaching, I guess, young people the capacity to sit with fear or sit with discomfort. And I know, again, mm-hmm. my son uh, yep. sat with a lot of discomfort when he yes. went out on camp. Is actually not a bad thing, is it? In fact, no. it can be quite good for you. It is. Look, we, we talk about the pointy end of the stick and a pointy stick can be quite dangerous and quite risky, but it can also be quite a useful tool. So it, it's how we look upon things and how we assess risk and how we perceive that fear of a potential danger and it's really about coming to that understanding that you know we do want to stretch our participants we do want them to we call them levers that we can pull on so what levels of stress can we put upon participants but without that sense of distress interesting and there's been some great research uh fairly sure it's Kelly McGonigal, in terms of the, our mindsets and, you know, the mindset that uh, when we notice the physiological changes in our body, which often we'll interpret as fear and something to be avoided, if we take the mindset that, oh, okay, this is a physiology that can actually help me and uh, adapt to the challenge or take on the challenge. So in terms of, a, I guess, a big impact of our mindset, and I'm assuming I'd like to hear a little bit more about how you do help kids with that shortly as well. Yeah, for sure, definitely. So it is about that accessing and feeling and understanding it and knowing that 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 sense is a healthy feeling. Yes. And knowing that it's okay to be stressed um, and knowing, okay, that this is what we need to take the challenge, to take the plunge, so to speak, into allowing that sense of feeling to come upon us and then being able to deal with it and work with it and not overcome it, but live through it and achieve something that we wouldn't normally try or have a go at. And that's, I think, one of the key things is often students come back is that, oh, I now can have a go. It's yes. that can-do attitude or have a go attitude that that's the sense that they, when they come back from a journey or a camp experience, is that, oh, that's what they see in themselves now. Absolutely. So going back a little bit, sure. what was your entry into, I guess, the field of positive education. How did you become aware of, I guess, the term or the field here? Excellent. So thanks, Susie. So my journey has not been one of a typical outdoor education person. I, I love the outdoors. I love spending time in the outdoors, but I've come from a teaching background that's both primary and secondary teaching. Mm-hmm. And so being able to have that whole gamut and breadth of, of understanding of the development of a young person through their primary years and secondary years into that young adult person. My final teaching experience was, was and it was an experience, it was uh, a year nine group that the school where I was working at saw that year nines were quite different and based upon Peter Cole's work, uh, working in the, with the Victorian government around teaching middle year students and especially year nine students. Yes recognising that their brain chemistry is quite different, the changes that they're going through and sitting in four walls in a classroom five hours a day is just not the right thing for them. Yes. 
um, developmentally, physically, and the like. And then that manifests itself into behaviours that are not quite positive. Yes. So we came up with this program of, it was approximately half and half, half in the classroom and half outside. The school was very fortunate enough to have a thousand acre farm. Wow. So we um, we were able to utilise that space and utilise, you know, things like developing market gardens and developing entrepreneurship. So students had small business teams where they could, they had a plot of land and they could work out what they were going to grow and then how they were going to sell it and market it. So it was more than just an agricultural side. It was really, it was a inquiry-based project learning. Yeah, right. So that was great. So one of the projects was also personal development based around the Resilience Project. Yes. Hill Seilenberg. Yes, Hugh, yes. Yep, with Hugh. And so Hugh came out and he came and gave a whole school staff um, PD and that was, it just sparked my mind and got my mind thinking and, and also the other teachers within the Unite program as well of what can we do with these kids and how can we work with them and, and how can we build their resilience? You know, what, what are the three things? And Hugh talks of the gems. Yes. So of gratitude, empathy and mindfulness. Yeah. And that really sparked us. We were having an outdoor education program, but it really was just about going out and being outdoors. Yeah, right. And this notion of gems really sparked us and said, how can we, what can we do with our program that's going to allow them to do that? And that's where it flipped it from being an outdoor experience to right. an outdoor experience with something about myself. How can I look after myself? What can I do? So it was more explicitly introduced to the outdoor ed program, is it that was. right? We really pushed it into the program. And, and OEG at that point were really great at that in accepting that. Right. Utilising those, you know, those those three simple terms of being grateful. Yes. Showing some empathy, empathy. mind, yeah. and being mindful in the moment. Yeah, three powerful uh, foundations, really. So yeah, so that's how it worked, and and throughout the we were doing a five day program that, at that stage, and so everything was right, geared around those three ideals. We're both uh, familiar with the the concept of mental toughness, which um, I'd come across probably nearly seven or eight years ago now, and yes. uh, could see a natural fit with positive education particularly because POSED in the early days was very focused on well-being and the, I guess the proactive enhancement of well-being. And then increasingly there's been a recognition that uh, resilience, I guess, is a related construct, but um, there's also a separate set of skills that often we didn't learn until after we came crashing down and saw, came to see someone like myself as a clinical psych, uh, yep. which I spent years treating people after the curveballs come. And of course, um, what really appealed to me with the mental toughness model, and for those that aren't familiar with it, it's a fairly simple model, although it's been elaborated on a little uh, more recently, the four C's, which are confidence, commitment, control, and challenge. And for me, it did definitely relate to resilience. But when we think about resilience, it's often a, about how we bounce back or when a curveball or a challenge, a stressor approaches us, and it's how we ideally respond rather than react. But when I look at the C, the challenge C, that is defined as about proactively 
stretching yourself, as you were saying, Whitney, is what mm. you do at OEG, with the intent purpose of growth and development. So for me, mental toughness absolutely can be used from a resilience perspective, but it seems to go beyond in as much as the, the mentally tough or those that are, I guess, particularly high on challenge would, again, proactively uh, seek out experiences for their growth and development rather than waiting for the curveballs to come. So it'd be good to hear a little bit again because I know that you've been starting to use that model at OEG and and in particular with uh, Corowa Anglican Girls School, how that's been working for you. Sure. Thanks, Susie. Yeah, look, we've got four overarching outcomes at OEG and that's we want all of our students and all our participants and, and programs to have meaning. We want them to be memorable Definitely build character. Yep. But most importantly, and I think this is the key one, is transferable. Yes. So, so it's transferring what's learnt or what it, what's experienced into our real life and waiting for that to occur. You know, for some participants it happens the day they finish and the day they get back home and it's transferred immediately. Right. But others it can often take a while for that to spark, to kick in and for them to go, hey, you know, we, I stretched myself a little bit. I was able to challenge myself and overcome that stretching and succeed, and then that can take place, and we call it real-world ready. Right. Is our term. Yep. Allowing our students to become real-world ready and transferring those skills of teamwork, of collaboration, of decision-making, and also this idea of mental toughness. And as you – described as we were talking about before is how is it measured yeah how can you measure it and and the notion of mental toughness is wonderful because it's a measurable tool absolutely and so with the pilot program brendan can you tell us a little bit about how that worked in conjunction with the school yes yeah, so corowa anglican girls school it's a, a school of inner eastern suburbs of melbourne and their outdoor education program is is probably amazing it's 30 days in the wilderness. Oh, my goodness, yeah. Travelling from Mansfield, the highlands of Victoria, all the way through to Marlow uh, on the Gippsland Coast. Wow. It's an amazing experience that those girls have. They hike, they raft, they cycle the complete journey without any interaction from the outside world, so no technology. <laughs> That would be a challenge in itself. <laughs> and, uh, look, I'm now going to schools and saying that's probably your biggest challenge. Yeah, you know, right. Can you deal without technology? Can you survive without the streaks? Absolutely. You know, they're, they're needing to. So we, we looked at mental toughness and it's a wonderful tool that we can use because we can measure individuals and we can also measure the group. And Corowa had some uh, initial us. I know I went down to visit them. Yes. So uh, just remind me again, this age group for the girls going for 30 days Yep, so they're year nine students. Again, okay, so, that, that yeah. year. So yeah. it's that middle year and often that it is that middle year where programs like this, you know, those big, long 20 to 30-day programs, it's either in year nine and year 10 where it occurs. Yeah, right. Pragmatically, it works nicely with school curriculum. Right. Uh, taking a year 11 or a year 12 student out for that yeah. long of class, Yes. you would struggle definitely to do that. But year nine and year 10 students, schools seem that it can work nicely with their timetable and structures. But also it works great with knowing that the, the mind shift and the changes that's occurring in the brain chemistry at that age allows them to accept that notion of being away. 
And the ideal is that you'd learn these skills prior to going into senior high school anyway. Yes. from a psychological perspective. And so the girls, can you, again, a little bit about the pilot, had the girls been introduced to the mental toughness model, the four Cs before they came, or was that your job or how did that work? Yeah, so we went to Corowa and, you know, luckily for us and wonderful for them that they were prepared to accept it and take it on and, and see what it goes. They were extremely interested. This year is the 25th year of Trek. Right. So it's been going for that long. So it's an institution, it's a traditional institution, and they call themselves Trekkies, those that have gone. Right. And old girls, uh, alumni, students actually take part in the program as well. So wow. it, it's, it's a, a big sisterhood project that allows that to occur. It's amazing. Yeah. So in terms of mental toughness, we wanted to measure something. We wanted to measure a long journey. Yes. And the school was quite keen to see how it could be measured as well, you know, knowing you know, the, the qualitative data is there, the, the comments and the growth that the students express in themselves, but we want to actually see whether that was measurable. Yes. And, and through some quantitative data, getting some numbers. Yep, um, definitely. You know, researchers love numbers. And we certainly schools, do. <laughs> schools definitely love numbers and want to yes. see, you know, data-based evidence. Absolutely. So this was a great fit. The school had not been introduced to mental toughness prior to the pilot. Oh, right. So we spent two days working with, with the school itself, working with yep. the teachers involved in the project, working with the the old girls, the Corovians as they're known. Yes. Working with them around the ideals of the four C's. Great. And I think that was Daniela Falecki that had come down. Great. And Daniela Falecki came down. Um, yes. Being an ex-teacher, being an ex-OEG. Yes. Worker. That's a good yeah. fit. Yes, being touched by OEG. Uh, so she came down and ran a training day for us around the four C's and actually the practicalities of how we can use the four C's and, and really develop them. It is a really simple, nice project to use. The language of the four C's fits really, really well with our mindset. Absolutely. So can I challenge myself? What can I commit to over the next few days? You know, what is it that I can commit to? What confidence can I have? You know, and that sense of interpersonal confidence and confidence in my abilities. Absolutely. So, you know, so splitting that confidence concept down into that. And that language throughout the program and the pilot, we didn't want them to just ram it down, you know, just yes. constantly. But yes. in conversations, and we know with experiential learning that there's no learning without reflection. Yes. So in terms of reflection, of sitting around a campfire, of having a meal together and having those nights where they are sitting around talking about their day that they've just had or the days to come. Right. The language that comes out of using those four words is wonderful. And it, yeah. and it just fit really, really nicely into an outdoor educational experience. It's a great little framework, isn't it? And um, I just recently, I've been learning to ski as a, an older older adult, yep. if you like. Yes. It's yep. been a great challenge for me and a great opportunity to put my mental toughness skills to the test. And yep. I know uh, I was just out about a month ago and I was in my head going through in my lesson the four Cs yes. just to get my head into gear around, yep. you're committed to this, my confidence in my abilities is increasing, my interpersonal confidence is good in terms of asking for feedback from the instructor. Uh, this is definitely a challenge and, you know, bring it on and control. Well, there was a lot of emotional control <laughs> required, Brendan, let me tell you. Yes, so just gritting the teeth and, and controlling those uh, inner little 
someone sitting on your shoulder saying, you can't do it, you can't do it, you can't do it. Uh, Absolutely. And having that emotional strength to say, no, I can, I can do it. And that that mindset, you know, the Carol Dweck growth mindset of not yet, but I can and I will and I'll have a go. Absolutely. And as you know, there's a number of psychological strategies used to develop mental toughness. Um, And what appealed to me was a lot of them had come out of clinical psych, which again had been my background. So if you think about uh, phobias, I spent years treating people with phobias and we used a lot of visualisation techniques to build up their confidence to then be in in vivo in in real life scenarios. And uh, Peter Clough, the creator of the mental toughness model, is a sport sport site. And he'd used a lot of these techniques with elite athletes as well. So was there a natural fit? And I guess the environment, the natural environment gives you a lot of these opportunities, but be keen to hear around how you saw some of these psychological skills um, being developed in the outdoor setting. It's really interesting uh, when you talk about fixing things. And we know that if we can prevent, we don't have to fix that's and, right. You know, and the, the notion of Dr. Leah Waters' work around, yes. you know, the strength switch, being that's able to right. switch that on and, and the work that she's doing around that. And that's what mental toughness allows us to do is it allows us to, you know, before we get to that hurdle, okay, yes, we're going to hit it, we might stumble, but mental toughness allows us to do that, to be able to get back up and, and have a go. Yes. And set that tone or set that scene around being able to do that and using the language of it. Uh, in terms of clinical psychological activities and, and things and learnings, look, we really wanted to make it as practical as possible. And so we wanted to make it so that it was just around the conversations. Being a pilot, we didn't want to really change too much of what we're doing. Yes. Because we wanted to be able to go, okay, this is what we do now. Yes. And is it, is it working now? Right. And, and using that. So Apart from changing the language slightly, right? Really do much different. Okay, interesting. And so you have got some data though, Brenton, haven't you? What what did you find in this pilot? Yeah, look, it was really, really interesting. It was a typical. It was interesting. There was forty participants in the program, so you know, in terms of statistics, it's not a lot. Yes, but it was a is a reasonable uh, amount. We tested the girls. Well, we surveyed the girls. It's a questionnaire, not a test. There's no – it doesn't matter if you get it right <laughs> or wrong. It's, it's the results, so it's not a test. That's right. So we surveyed the girls about a week out from their program, from their mm-hmm. journey, and then we surveyed them on the very last day right. of their program. So we re, we pre- and post-test um, surveyed. So the, the mental toughness is a scale of 1 to 10, and we don't want to be too mentally tough of scoring tens, and we don't really want to be too mentally <laughs> sensitive either. We'd rather be, you know, sitting in that, you know, around that mid-range bracket or on the slightly mentally tough side right. of the scale. Yes. So the results were originally came back and they were slightly sensitive. Wow, interesting. Pre, so pre. Pre slightly sensitive. And if you related it to the normal bell curve, they were probably one to two degrees or more sensitive or less tough than the bell curve. Interesting. So yep. fairly predictable results for 15-year-old participants. Yeah, right. We did look at some other studies and we did look at some normal normal distributions of uh, that. Right. And that sort of gained us an idea. Post, and wonderfully enough, and luck for us, that there was a shift. Great. In the group. And that's the great thing about mental toughness 
survey is that you can measure the group as a whole. And that's right. what we were interested in. We were interested in measuring the group rather than individuals. Absolutely, yeah. So there was certainly a shift and it was a shift towards the normal distribution. And, in fact, the shift actually sort of reflected that of the normal distribution. Right. So it didn't push them beyond. Yes. But it certainly did move them in a forward, in a growth. Right. Yeah. And, and was there any of the four Cs that moved more significantly than the others? Did you have that data or? We did. We certainly do have that data. Yeah. Um, so overall it was. But the one that really stood out certainly was confidence. Yes, yeah. It certainly stood out. And the young person survey in confidence allows us to measure both interpersonal right. and confidence in my abilities. Yes. And what was really interesting, especially in the interpersonal area, was that a number of, of the participants had indicated that they were quite confident in their personal and in interpersonal skills. Right. Of those that mentioned that, that they were quite confident, it actually dropped. So ah. they became a little bit more sensitive. Interesting. Which is, so it was quite nice that they were actually able to recognise in themselves being part of a group, being part of the group. Ah. But they could then sense in themselves that they were probably being a little bit too Interesting. We have a term of use your ears and mouth in the ratio that you have them. <laughs> That's right. So you have two ears and one mouth. Absolutely. And so, and I think that's that notion of working in group together and being in group together. Yes. Uh, and having to listen to each other's opinions and respect each other's opinions and then come to a collaborative decision. The teamwork. Fabulous. That's a great hypothesis. And do you think you will write this up as a white paper? or? Yeah, we're looking towards doing that, Susie. Um, yeah. We're actually, in two weeks' time, we're going to go and survey them again. Oh, fabulous. That'll be interesting. Yes. So we're going to do a, a survey, do that that longitudinal survey and see what the results come out, whether they're the same or whether they've modified a little bit, whether it's the positive or the negative. Yeah, so that'll be interesting. That's we'll the next keep, phase of the pilot. Keep us posted. Now, I know we're just about on time, but I'm really curious to hear, um, was there anything that was done with the students once they returned about that real-world application, if you like? Do you know if there was much support in bringing their experiences to life and looking at applying that into their, whether it's academic but also their personal lives? I think the first thing to really mention is that since the survey, since the students completing the survey, that the school itself has really accepted and adopted this model. Great. Bringing yourself into the school. And, yes, yeah, being down to visit. Probably an outcome from the project, it's from the pilot and around, you know, positive education and positive psychology. I believe they have been working with them around the four C's. Yes. The year 10s. And the head of senior school is certainly engaged in that and working with the students and, and being able to transfer what they've learnt from their journey into their, their real life, into their classroom. We are continuing this year with the survey. So we're surveying, we've surveyed the year nine students already who are participating on the program. Interestingly enough, we, we surveyed all year nine students this year. Right. So it's about half the students participate in, in the trek journey, in the 30-day journey. Great. And half don't. It's not compulsory, so it's an opt-in program. Yes. The other students participate in a more of an urban-type program. Okay. Where it's a drop-in, drop-out type setup with a one-week journey aspect. 
So, right. so the results are going to be quite interesting this it year. A whole lot. And then measuring the difference between those students that participate in the 30-day program and those students that don't participate. Yes. That would be quite – and I think the results from that are going to be interesting. It will be, and I guess putting a bit of my, my research hat on here, I would love to see a study then that perhaps the girls that gr- uh, returned – and, again, I know we're not talking about large numbers mm. here, which does affect the, you know, the rigour of the study, but to have some or at least half – participate in some coaching post the experience yep. to, again, look at that transfer into their academic and personal lives to see whether, you know, having some opportunity for reflection again, good old Cole's learning yep. uh, cycle, which uh, coaching really does tap into. So, yeah, so uh, we'll certainly be in touch there because I think it's, for me, I think there's a wonderful opportunity to particularly, uh, specifically teach the 4C model and the mental toughness model explicitly, then go and experience it and bring it to life and then return and think about, reflect again on your learning and how does this transfer into everyday life and uh, not just for when the curveballs will no doubt (laughs) emerge over time but also in terms of proactively stretching myself for the next challenge that's about to come. Yes, thank you, Susie. Yeah, I think so. And um, now having all of their students participate in the survey, each student is now aware of the language and aware of the four C's, yes. whereas in the pilot it was only half the students who were involved. So now when they talk of of having the confidence to take on abilities, to challenge myself and, and being able to control my emotions so that I can, it's the whole cohort. It's, it's every student is going to know that. So they'll then be able to put into place those coaching models and coaching methods yes. in order to do that so that the learning is transferred through. Absolutely. And again, I think, you know, what I was trying to tap into in terms of the pre-work is proactively teaching some of those skills like the abdominal breathing techniques, which I know sometimes taught in uh, some of the health classes, aren't they? But they're not also, again, often transferred into these different scenarios. So there's the whole lot of uh, mindset skills and uh, mindfulness techniques. There's a whole range of those techniques uh, that can be taught, again, explicitly, but it's not until you're in those scenarios where you can can actually bring them to life. So it's such a perfect fit, Brendan. Thank you so much for joining me today and sharing the work that OEG does which is incredible. And uh, look, again, hopefully we'd, we'd love to hear more about the, the pilot and the, if there's anything published, I'll make that available to uh, uh, people that subscribe and uh, good luck for the future with it. Thank you so much, Susie. And I'd lo- really like to recognise the work that you've done and the work that you've done to assist us and help us, and especially Daniela as well. You know, without, without you and without Daniela, I think we'd still be sort of wandering around without any confidence <laughs> yeah. and trying to find how we can challenge ourselves. So thank you again. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Brendan. Thank you so much for listening to the Pioneers of Positive Education podcast series two. This podcast has been brought to you by our sponsor, Perth College, who will also be the host of the upcoming Flourish 2019 conference in Perth on Saturday, the 26th of October. If you'd like to stay in the loop for all things POSED, be sure to join our Pioneers of Positive Education Facebook group or sign up for our free monthly Pi News. Thanks for listening and bye for now.